Welcome one, welcome all. Welcome to the Bricks in the Wall. I am your host, Juan, a.k.a. Trippy Shaman, and I have my buddy Andrew here. And we are the uh, Hispanic horsemen trying to empower you, the individual, with a uh, metaphorical sledgehammer to bring down that allegorical wall that has been built to keep us from the truth. And today, I want to introduce somebody that I met online. And I feel like I keep saying this every time, but it's beautiful whenever you're really into researching and really digging for the truth, the kind of people that you meet. When you're really in, in this, you start going down rabbit holes. And I've met so many interesting people online. And this is one of my buddies that I met. His name is Scott. And um, every time I post something, he's usually like liking it and also sending me cool stuff. And we were talking, messaging, and DMing each other. And he sent me some pretty fucking interesting stuff that I want to talk about. But mostly, I want to talk about this guy named Carol Quigley. So let me bring, in, bring him on. How you doing, Scott? Good. How you doing, man? How you doing? So um, I met you online, and it's weird because you said this is a small world because you're also in Texas, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually uh, I'm in Seguin. Yeah, this is crazy. It's, it's so weird how you meet people and the synchronicities that happen and stuff like that. So tell us, um, Scott, when did you first start looking into this alternative type of information? Um, probably four or five years ago. Okay. I was on Audible and I came across a Put the shortened version of Put the Volume. And that kind of started all of it. Okay. And what what inter- what what got you interested into this kind of this kind of stuff? What was it? I think just mainly I love history and like you you read through history and it's like there's so many things that just seem off. Well, I guess seemed off to me because it's like you hear bits and pieces and it's almost like you when we study history we view it from a looking at the trees uh-huh. and not really seeing the forest. Yeah. That makes sense. yeah, and it's like you're trying to piece this puzzle together. And when you have society that brainwashes humans and you're only fed certain information, it's being controlled by a few amount of people, it's hard to really get a grasp of what happened. And like they say, uh, the history is usually written by the victors. And when they usually write the history and spread it to their people, it's usually filled with lies and propaganda to, to, to distort your view of reality. And uh, so tell us, what are some major important pieces that you discovered about history that made you question what's going on? Um, one of the big ones, I think that kind of got the ball rolling for me. I came across a, a guy named Matt Rett, who he wrote some books um, about uh, America. He's a Canadian, but he wrote about... America, like leading up to the Revolutionary War, and during the Revolutionary War, there was this whole group of loyalists that wanted to stay part of England and wanted to go, and even after the war, we go back in as part or under England. That's why they actually invaded Canada at one point. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so I was looking through our messages earlier, and one thing that really interested me, you said something about. George Washington was writing about the Illuminati. What, what, what was that about? Um, there's some... The link I sent you is actually... It shows a copy of the actual letter, but it's a pastor that's writing to George Washington and is concerned about um, the Illuminati are coming in and basically taking over uh, Freemasonry. Uh-huh. Infiltrating it. Yes. 
Okay, yeah, that's what our last guest, he was talking about how um, the Illuminati was kind of, it kind of came apart. So they went underground and they started infiltrating secret societies and to try to like get a hold of them from, from, uh, from behind the scenes or something. And, and also, I think um, Adam Weishaupt, uh, one of the mentors um, he had, uh, Adam Weishaupt, by the way, he was the guy that formed the Illuminati back in uh, 76, 1776. And um, uh, before formation of the Illuminati, his mentors and the people that would guide him or, you know, uh, a lot of his background, a lot of his mentors' background um, are are uh, Freemasonic, uh, Freemasonic uh, ideologies and so forth. But um, we don't know if it was roughly around this time whenever these two ideologies, um, Illuminati basically meaning enlightenment, seeking mystery knowledge or Freemasonry, whether they were formed together as one or if it was basically what one is calling it, you know, um, uh, it getting hijacked and so forth. Yeah. Um, it's actually interesting. That kind of ties in a little to another one of um, Carol Quigley's books. He writes uh, The Anglo-American Establishment based off of um, the secret society that Cecil Rhodes started. And he models it off of the Jesuits, but he yeah. infiltrates it. He starts infiltrating other secret societies just mm-hmm. like and what do you think the goal is for infiltrating the societies? Why do they why do they do these things? Um, control. Okay. Could, could, I think there's a. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for cutting you off. Um, I think one of the big things in even I think just looking at America, one of the things that we don't really talk about and learn about in school, and I tend to think it's on purpose, but just the influence that the East India Company played um, on America like during well, I know a lot of people know about the, um, the duel between oh man what's his name uh, Aaron Burr and I can't think of the other guy's name right off the top of my head sorry okay it's fine um, you know I'm talking about he had the duel with him killed him and then he ended up fleeing down south okay uh, anyway can't think of his name. It's okay. But the they have letters back and forth between uh, Lord Palmerston, who was actively involved in funding him, and they actually started a insurrection movement. So they've been there's been this whole process of divide and conquer in our country, um, leading up into and the same guy. They have letters from him to the governor of South Carolina during the second secession that led to the. Um, civil war but I think the the biggest prospect of the idea behind mind control is that I think that's the best way to describe it comes all the way from all the way back in the Venetian bankers like uh, Machiavelli's The Prince uh-huh. was basically written as a manual for psychological warfare to keep people enslaved and when was this or roughly I'm terrible with dates I can I can google it real quick no, no, it's okay. It's, yeah. it's okay. I just think it's awesome that you really love digging into history because a lot of people don't really want to sit down and read books. But I think it's fascinating when someone's really interested and they read so many books that they can kind of like connect the dots from history from different sections and kind of piece it together and tell, tell the story of what's actually happening. 
it's interesting that like we miss I think we miss so much that books can tell us because it's hard to sit down and be like really really thorough of, of the grand picture of history but if you can sit down and just like dig into one certain section mm-hmm. you can go way more in depth than anything that can be taught and just I love the it's almost like treasure hunting yeah it, reading a book and like finding out new facts and it's like oh well that fits into this and this fits into that mm-hmm. it's really really fascinating yeah. and it's and it's crazy because there's just so much and like you said you have to kind of specialize into one type of thing but what is your favorite type of subjects in history um I think ideology. I think we we can learn a lot about just tracing what the origins and evolutions of different ideologies that have been passed down through the ages. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like to think about that. All the different types of ideas that people had, and even currently with the type of uh, government system that we have, we as humans are still, we haven't been able to really figure out a way in which we can all peacefully want to live. And I'm sure a lot of us do. But like, like we know, there's people in shady, dark rooms actually planning to control and to manipulate the masses for their own, for their own purposes. For sure. What do you think these purposes are? Like you said, if it is all for control, a control for what and why? Um, I think a lot of it, man, it stems back to the divine right of kings, like the idea that us common tax cattle if we're taught how to think and how to use our ima- our imagination uh-huh. we are murderously dangerous I mean that goes that idea really kind of gets formulated and you can kind of see it in um, from Plato I mean it goes all the way back to Plato but it, <laughs> it, it evolves over time like hey Scott at, uh, hey bro uh, if you could um um uh, if you could, could you maybe speak up maybe just a little bit louder, bro? Sure. Pretty sure you, man. Uh, but anyways, what were you saying, Scott? Um, just the idea that um, common people like you and I and the other tax yeah. cattle out there, I think that there's the, the, the belief of the divine right of kings. Basically, if we are not... Um, led? Yes, if we are not led, Yeah, and I think that also it reminds me of that idea of that the, the, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm-hmm. And part of me, I don't know, what do you think about the idea? I, sometimes I believe that maybe all of this is working like the guy from the previous show. He was talking about all of this is to push the new world order, to put this system, like you said, to control everything and, and, and track and monitor everything. What, what do you think about that? Um, I think that hits on hits pretty close to home for technocracy I think that's kind of the idea I mean behind it um, and if you I mean if you look at when, when all of that kind of started it started with the, the study of cybernetics um, the word cybernetics actually comes from Plato's allegory of the cave which is Kyberniti really how, how does he use it in one context because that what, what, what did it mean to them in that time cybernetics uh, well it actually out of a lot of the scientists that were active with the Macy Foundation as part of MK Ultra, um, And basically the word Kybernetes means oarsman or steersman of state, uh-huh. uh, meaning 
Okay. If that makes sense. Um, I mean, even the the breakdown of the word government, it's derived from Latin, the Latin word, which is gubernare, uh-huh. which is a verb meaning to control. And you combine that with the Latin word or the Latin noun. Um, mente. mente, yeah. Which means to control the mind. Uh, essentially, and, yep. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, that's what I always try to tell people. It's like right in the word. Just look up the etymology of the word. It's governed to control or to, to limit and then mente, which is the mind. You're basically mind controlling people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and even, man, again, if, I'm, if I get too scattered, just let me know. Don't be afraid to jump in and ask questions. Okay. Um, but like even... Uh, cybernetics like it's a broad study but it it applies mathematical equations um or basically an instruction manual for controlling the mind really really fascinating there's a great uh documentary called the minds of men i know you can find it on yeah a youtube i've heard of it i haven't watched it it's really good yeah minds of Um, men that's good it's excellent um and it actually goes back through and talks about norbert wiener which he was basically involved in figuring out um, guidance system for artillery uh-huh. um, but it's just he goes into feedback feedback loops it's some of it's still over my head so it's a process of reading it and then googling things and questioning and trying to figure it out if that makes sense mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, while you were talking to about plato it reminds me of the allegory of the cave um would you yeah. mind explaining that to us the, the allegory of the cave yeah so basically the allegory of the cave is you have these people that are kept in chains that are staring at a, a wall in the cave and there's a fire behind them uh-huh. and they, there's things and people moving behind them but they can only see the shadows in front of them that are on the wall basically like a television right okay um and then one of these prisoners breaks free and gets outside and he goes outside and he's like well i've got to go tell everybody they're still chained up so he goes back down in the cave and lets them know hey, this is what's out there, and they all think he's crazy because mm-hmm. all they've ever seen are the shadows on the wall. It's like basically a perfect illustration of what's going on today. So, so that metaphor is basically basically synonymous with the, whole, uh, with, with the Matrix. You know, how one yes. person gets unplugged, you know, in this case it was Neo, and then how all of a sudden he wants to bring back people in the Matrix back to... The real world. To, to the red pill, exactly. It's somewhat... I mean, yes. the metaphor you described, you know, I thought about the Matrix instantly. Well, and that's, um, that goes, that ties back into cybernetics because that's when the scientists involved in that started actually talking about building a matrix. Really fascinating. Yeah, and all that goes perfectly in tune also with what's happening with the metaverse that they're actually telling you to plug in into something and, yeah. and just live your life in, in that fake world. Yeah, um, actually, from the yeah. episode you guys did on the Tavistock Institute. I don't know if you said it, if it was reading later, later on about it, but it's if you can really see the the tie-in on how culture is formed in movies and media. Mm-hmm. Man, there's there's no wonder it's so highly controlled. Yeah, yeah. I, I've always believed, man, that you know maybe if one thing happens or maybe that happens again, that could be a coincidence. But if it happens over and over again, um. I mean, all you really have to do is just step outside instead of being from the inside looking out, be from the outside looking in, and then you'll see that sequence happening. Like, it, do- it doesn't, um, 
it can't be by accident how in the 50s we had a certain theme in the 60s we have a certain theme in the 70s we have a certain theme you know the hippie movement then this movement then the rock and roll movement then the grunge movement then the 2000s and new age i mean you know it's it's basically um um, we're being led yeah yeah oh yeah okay yeah and it i think i think the resistance when you start talking about that kind of thing is like we as as people see this we come up against this wall of like there's no way that can be real just because i don't think we legitimately think that way but if you really break it down why are there so many psychopaths that are CEOs and things like that? Because yeah. people that are rational, devoid of emotions, tend to be able to make better choices and decisions as opposed to, like, say, a entire civilization when they're scared of um, the Rona, uh-huh. react emotionally as opposed to, like, thinking it through with rational thought, <laughs> panic, fight or flight. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's, I mean, there, there's some really compelling evidence there that then you have to kind of sit back and instead of uh, reacting emotionally like logically thinking it through and you come up to the you're faced with the fact like how many correlations can happen or how many coincidences can happen before they become statistically impossible mm-hmm. yes exactly. exactly or or yeah yeah uh, or i mean there's just one in a million chance that this happened by accident basically you know yeah. um um, there, there has to be an invisible hand, uh, a brain, minds, mind, uh, uh, minds of the elect, of a small group, of, of a small group of minds dictating all of these things. Because this can be by accident. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. And that makes me think also since the idea that all of this has been planned, I had a pretty dark realization or thought the other day I was I had a psychedelic experience and I was thinking since all of this was planned, they must also have known that there was going to be some sort of opposition from mm-hmm. the truthers. So yeah. I'm sure they also had that in mind. And have, that's why I believe that this whole social move, truther movement is being kind of infiltrated and sprayed yeah. to yeah. make us look like wackos. To, to make us look like we're just saying the craziest shit, but there's actually real things you can document and show. But then they have people come and say like the wildest things about aliens or Bigfoot, and that, that just gets jumbled in and garbled up. And so yeah. when people start trying to talk the truth, they just mention you as a conspiracy truth nut or something that somebody that just went off the rails. Yeah, I, I suppose there were already predetermined plans to hijack the truther movement or to, or to stupidify us. Put some truth in there, put some lies, and then all of a sudden you're you're confused. I yeah, I think that. So how do you disprove or debunk a conspiracy theory? You look at a situation where you have, like, look at Jeffrey Epstein. Like, I don't care. Any rational person looks at that situation. Do you really buy the fact that he commits suicide? No, yeah. Everybody was questioning. No other craziness or wildness going in there. I don't think any rational human being can look at that and go, okay, yes, he committed suicide. Yeah, I think that's... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. um, No, no, go ahead, brother. 
That's one of the beautiful things that I think that happened that uh, a bunch of people started questioning that, like that whole Epstein didn't kill himself thing became like a pretty, pretty viral idea. And that mm-hmm. I, I think that helped a lot of people start questioning about what's going on. But it just pisses me off how, how this whole just Lane Maxwell thing happened and only she gets arrested and they don't they don't go look and dig, dig deeper into who she was communicated and talking to and all the people that were also involved. Well, yeah, not only that, but the judge seals the record and then the judge is put on the judicial review board as a reward. Uh-huh. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like, you, you seriously have no questions about that. Uh-huh. And so, just Lane was selling underage kids to people, but we'll never know who those people were. Mm-hmm. If you if you look at that logically, if, let's say, Lane Maxwell was selling animals to people to abuse, I bet you it would have been leaked within the first 24 hours. Exactly. Exactly. It pisses me off too. I remember a couple of years ago, some football player got in big trouble because he was fighting pit bulls, and everyone got in such a huge outrage about it. But then you tell them about people actually selling underage kids, and they could care less. Yeah. Or I mean, and it's and it's not the first time. Like you have. Well, look at the the uh, false uh, foundation institute. That was a who's who of CIA. What's it called again, Scott? The, um, the False Memory Institute, that was started back in the Memory. 90s during the Satanic Panic whole thing. Uh-huh. And it was basically this organization um, of quote-unquote experts that were proving that people were putting false memories in these kids' heads for identifying uh-huh. people that were abusing them. Oh, I'm shit. sure there was some of that that was sensationalized, but that's discounting the Franklin scandal. Um, there was some of uh, the Finders cult. Like, there was just a big release of records on that that has kind of gone unnoticed, but there's some really compelling stuff in there, too, that the CIA was directly involved. So so what did it say, well, like, the methods involved? Like, I mean, how exactly did they implant these memories, or what did that book say? Uh, um, that one... There was certain Frank, mind control yeah. techniques, so, or... Some of it was. I haven't really dug into... False memories. The, the Finders Cult stuff was. I haven't really dug into that one because that's a, a much older one and I just haven't made it there yet. But the, the mm. Franklin scandal is, if you want a real eye-opener on some of the some of stuff that went on, like that's very credible. Really good sources. It's worth getting picking the book up. Okay. But basically it was really people high up um, in our government and the guy that was doing the investigation was a, a congressman who was warned off with death threats and a whole bunch of stuff really really fascinating read hmm, interesting okay so uh, let's start steering the conversation toward the topic that I wanted to talk about because uh, we, the book that I want to talk about is something that I've never read it uh, it's a huge book I think it's like 1300 pages um, yeah and I, I, a- go ahead sorry um, it's a it's a thick book and it's a tough read because he was not writing um, to like as a, a pick me up and read. it was to the oh man the intelligentsia or to CEO types and college. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I've skimmed to, through some of it, but this guy, he went to Harvard and he writes like for people for Harvard graduates and stuff. It's it's you, it's very hard to read. Um, the great thing about him is he is not, I don't think anybody can claim that he is a whacked out, um, cons- 
Uh-huh. Um, it's the school that all the diplomats go to. I can't think of the name of it. Yeah, and I read a little bit about him, and a bunch of his students said that he was the most influential figure in their way of thinking and, and how they turned out their doctorates and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he actually, um, Bill Clinton, in his inaugural address, um, talked about Carol Quigley as his mentor while he was in school. Yeah. Um, really, really interesting guy. And the, the interesting thing about it is he doesn't necessarily agree with the, the need for this group of people. Um, he just thought that people should know about it. And another fun fact of the book is it was published by Macmillan Press, I believe was the name of it. And then like right after it was published, somebody bought it out and they destroyed the first the plates for the first half of the book. Uh-huh. And nobody, they couldn't get it reprinted because everyone was asking for it. Well, Finally, after like five or six years of this, his wife goes down there and they find out that they had destroyed the, the original first half of the book. Um, and it's thankfully been redone now, but it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I thought it was badass. It's crazy how he was like actually trying to fight for his book that he had written to get it back. Yeah. So the, the, the guy we're talking about and the book that we're talking about is Carol Quigley. Uh, his last name is spelled Q-U-I-G-L-E-Y. And this is like a legit scholar, like top of the, you can't get any like smarter. This, he reminds me of smarter than Jordan Peterson or, or any of the guys that are really talking about our society. But from what I read, it was, it took him 20 years to write that book and he released, released it in 65. So the book we're talking about is Tragedy and Hope. So um, here, let me just read a little excerpt about it because the introduction is by a guy named Michael Chadwick. And he, he, he writes a little excerpt about the book just to give an intro about it. It says, there really is a world system of financial control in private hands that is able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world. I call this system the World Trade Federation. It is an ultra-secret group of the most powerful men on earth. They now control every major international institution, every major multinational and transnational corporation, both public and private, every major domestic and international banking institution, every central bank, every nation state on earth, the natural resources on every continent, and the people around the world through complicated interlocking networks that resemble giant spider webs. So that kind of, kind of sums up the book, but to really read it, it, he basically explains the history of the world. So could you kind of guide us through the book, uh, Scott, please? Sure. Um... I think the big, the big kicker from the book was me, for me, was when you come to find out that right after World War II, during the peace accords and all of that, they, there was this um, elite from England that got together with the elite from the U.S., and they decided that they were going to basically create a world ruled by the white um, Anglo-American establishment or English-speaking establishment. Hey, Scott, um, was it a prominent family? Um, uh, do you know which families were the ones in England and in U.S.? Um, I should. Uh, U.S. was Rockefellers and England. I want to say Rothschild, but I'm not sure. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Don't quote me on the Rothschild one. Um, read the book. Um, and on all of this, don't take my 
Exactly. I love that. Someone giving you my opinion on it. Yeah, that um, reminds me of I when I... could be wrong. Like, I, my point of view or my beliefs on things change. I think that that's part of the process of learning. Their ideas have to be open to being challenged. And exactly. if they stand up to debate, then they're correct. Yeah. If they don't, then we've obviously messed up somewhere along the line and we re- need to reassess. Yeah, and that makes me think of the times that we're currently in, how social media and all these major institutions have tried to silence the, the people really speaking the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one, that's another fun, fun study if you go into and look, look at the history of education and how it came to be the way it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Carol Quigley. So, man, there's, there's a lot that ties into it from other books, but... So basically, they, they set up and did in it. Um, where was I at? So England, uh, elite families got together and decided they're going to um, create and rule the world. And it involved bringing the U.S. back into England. And this was actually, um, this ties into another one of Quigley's books called The Anglo-American Establishment. And it's all about Cecil Rhodes and how he set out to do this. But basically, they... Their manipulations, I think a big one, um, one of the big ones when the group started was World War One. If you go back and read, you can look up on archive.org and pull up um, Colonel Mandel's house, houses, intimate, the intimate works of, the intimate papers of Colonel Edward Mandel House. And he's basically on his way, Mandel, he's a, diplomat over in England and he's on his way to talk to the king and Lord Grey is going with him to talk to him and they discuss what would happen if a ship with US citizens on it sank and Mandel, um, Colonel House tells Lord Grey that if a ship sank that the US would be swept into the war basically uh-huh. they get to the king and they're talking to the king and the, the king actually names the Lusitania um, three hours later, after he has left the king, the Lusitania is sank by a German submarine and the U.S. is brought into the war. Yeah, and like Andrew was saying, th- this kind of thing seems to happen a lot in history where there is some type of false flag. Or, or there, something terrible happens which gives a certain country an excuse to begin war. Yeah, well, like the sinking of the Spanish Main, mm-hmm. uh, the Gulf of Tonkin. Pearl Harbor. Like, time and time and time again, like. Yeah. You know, are there any wars that we actually fought for the reasons that they said we fought them? I mean, look at Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Like, why do we go into Iraq? Weapons of mass destruction? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it always reminds, it's funny how all of this, all, it's always happening, that it's always being, I always feel like humans, natural humans just want to love and be peaceful and be mm-hmm. with their neighbors and be fine. But yeah. w- what is it that, that makes people want to pick up guns and go and kill each other? It's all this propaganda that's yeah. being fed to us. And it's probably th- this idea of separation, you know, um, this idea of uh, competition or, I mean, don't get me wrong, this idea of competition, um, that's, that's a good thing in, in and of itself as long as we have sportsmanship and things like that. But, you know, I, I think we've gotten far um, in... in in the world because of competition you know uh, provided that it's friendly of course uh and you know and 
and so forth. But yeah, yeah, you know, it's really this idea of separation that we're separated from from our brothers and sisters. Uh, we, have, we have different cultures, different backgrounds, different races and stuff. And those are all good things, you know. It, it, it's, it's good to take pride in our nationality and so forth. But the moment one begins to think or to suspect that one is better than the other, white supremacy or Black Lives Matter, thus begins this whole idea of separation. And um, and then the elect, they don't have to do anything but just watch us crumble. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't even have to lift a finger because all of their so-called victory comes from their propaganda, us fighting each other. So I think it, for me, it goes back to the idea of ideology and social sciences. I think there was a massive push to, well, I mean, it, it kind of goes back into cybernetics where you, 90% of human behavior is, are memorized patterns <laughs> yeah. by the age we're 30 so that if you can, and the, the military has the, the OTA loop, they teach the OTA loop, which is observe, orient, um, decide, then act. So basically, if you can influence people's perception the observe orient part of that Mm -hmm. you can predict how they will behave so if you can control what they can bring in through their five senses you can control perception if you can control Mm -hmm. perception you can control reality if you control reality you control the world exactly beautifully said beautifully um, said yeah if they if they can manipulate through algorithms I mean watch the uh, the documentary on Social dilemma? Yeah, the social dilemma. Uh Like, Facebook knows when we're taking a poop. Yeah. Like, to put it bluntly. So, you think they don't know us and what beats us and what drives us. So, Mm -hmm. if they know how we're going to react to these things, can they not control what we're going to do in the next five minutes? Yep, exactly. Now, you can put that, if you combine that with with an AI, like DARPA's currently trying to do called Deep Green, that gets really, really scary. We'll talk about deep brain, please. Uh, basically, that kind of—I mean, it's—it's um, it's worth googling and reading because it—it kind of freaks me out a little bit. Um, but basically, with the way technology is going, that—that that whole uh, observe and orient section—if you can control perception—if um, we get technology-wise, where AI can do that on an individual person level or like a group of people. Think about what they can do with like deep fakes and things like that. Because the <laughs> technology, I mean, they say it's almost there, but I mean, how long did they have the SR seventy one before yep. we actually knew they had the SR seventy one? You know what I mean? Yeah, technology from the military is always like twenty five, thirty years in advance to what's currently out. Yeah, so it kind of and there's a big gap between what we can take in with our five senses and what we can be made to believe is real. Mm-hmm, exactly, and that. And that's getting bigger daily, so it, it kind of gets scary on, like, why are we making the choices we're making, and why are we so frustrated and angry and mm-hmm. emotionally reacting as opposed to logically thinking things through? Well, I guess that goes word. that goes back to how that, what the Tavistock Institute has to do, how they've developed all of this to, to kind of break the human in a way, to, to disconnect you from source and from who you really are mm-hmm. and what we're supposed to be doing here on this earth. I think instinctually all humans want to know what's going on. But since we're indoctrinated and we're like put in this fake world through media, it's, it's so hard to see to see yeah. what's really going on. And then like we were talking about the metaverse, 
they can actually completely manipulate what you're looking at through your senses because they're right in front of your face. It's the thing's right on your head. They're basically feeding you whatever they want to feed you. Well, I think it, a lot of it plays into um, so classical education. We were taught how to think critically around, up until around the 19th century. Then they took the, the trivium and the quadrivium out of education and now we're subject to 12 years of conditioning uh-huh. um, and if you really go down that rabbit hole of schooling like that gives you a really clear picture that we are kind of intellectually defensive and um, we don't have any intellectual defenses to being led yeah exactly so, I remember I had read somewhere how uh, when you graduate graduation is really gradual indoctrination they're gradually indoctrinating you into their view of thinking yeah. and, and putting your ideas in a box so you can only look at things through their models and through through their type of a From study a certain lens uh-huh. yeah. yeah for sure yeah and that kind of that plays into another whole rabbit trail I just learned about um, that has to do with like Jupiter worship and, and some other interesting things I just mm-hmm. stumbled across the No, you're good. You, anything you can throw, us, throw at us. Um, okay, so let's continue with the book. Um, what, what, what else happened after you said that the families had met and they had decided that they're going to start taking control? How did they go about doing this? Um, well, I mean, the, so the group that was started through Cecil Rhodes' Secret Society has gone by a few different names. Like it's been called Milner's Kindergarten. Um, the elect, a few other ones. But basically, if you can trace the, I mean, look at uh, William T. Steed, who is the inventor of investigative journalism. Like, if you look into the role he played with the British military and interesting spin he put on things during their subjugation of different places around the world. Um, there's a clear pattern of just controlling media and controlling the observe orient orientation part of the the Oda loop, if you want, or the just perception. So, um, so this guy has actual documented proof of people meeting in secret rooms to actually plan the domination of the world. Yeah. Yep. So it's in this book, folks. Go read this book, uh, Carol Quigley's uh, Tragedy and Hope. It's too daunting to me. I don't think I could read such a book. Maybe even do an audio book sometime, well, but. There is actually, someone was nice enough to, and it's the first one I came across, and it, it led me into the big book, in which um, took forever, but I finally got through it. But it's Tragedy Hope, and it's on Audible. It's about four and a half hours, and he condenses everything down and makes it very yeah. easily digestible. Um, yeah. And it's my preferred method of intake for it. Who, who, so who like, did this? Let me pull it up. I still have it on my Audible. Yeah, I, I thought I thought I saw some uh, uh, before this podcast, bro. Uh, in research in this book, I thought I saw a few summaries on YouTube, like little documentaries about not documentaries, but summaries of the audio book put into one. Instead of reading the whole book or listening to the whole audio book, they have it condensed. A, yeah, yeah. There's a few on YouTube that I saw. Yeah, you can listen to the the uh, full. YouTube, uh, I have found Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American Establishment. The Anglo-American Establishment is, I would get the book because it's all about Cecil Rhodes. Like it, 
he's one of the most influential people on things that are happening in our world today that we never really hear about or know about. And you said that's on um, YouTube too, Scott? Yeah, both of them are on there. And it's beautiful. I yeah. think I, I said this last time too. I'm probably going to say this so many times, but the thing, the beautiful thing about the internet, I think, is it got away from them, and it, it was like the technocrats who made this. I think it was first developed for for CERN, if I'm correct. The internet was first used by CERN by scientists to to transfer data to each other, and it kind of slipped out of their lab or something, and it became this huge platform which people from all around the world can talk to. I'm talking to people from England, from India, all around the world, and. It's beautiful because we can spread this knowledge and tell each other what's really going on instead of being controlled top down by television networks that are just feeding you what they want. Now we can go out of our own way through the Internet and seek whatever we want to find. But and, and also as time progresses, now we see that window, that gap closing um, with, this, with the so-called censorship of free speech or, or you know, conservative speech with um, uh, the, the certain... Um, these words, phrases, and uh, certain things you can't say online lest, lest you get hit with a copyright strike or, or, a, or your video gets flagged down. It seems like, like on the yes. internet, uh, anybody who's independent uh, or anybody who has a piece of their own mind, they could go, go on the internet, make, make an account on whatever platform and spit their minds. Um, and and that's, that's unlike... Uh, publishing a book or your article getting put in the newspaper or uh, having a radio station or TV or movies. I'm not saying that those can happen. They could, but the platform won't be as drastic as, let's say, uh, a person who whose content is synonymous with the mainstream narrative. They want people under that hive mindset. So alternative people who speak alternative uh, news contrary to the to the elect to the elect um, um, it seems like the the only the widest window the the widest gap is it's it's going online and and we see that closing with the so with the, with the AI algorithms um, I mean etc yeah I think a, a really good example of that is um, Mike Lindell I mean Regardless of what you think of the guy or what you think of Trump, he is definitely bucking the system in the main mainstream narrative, and he was just debanked. And I don't buy the, the excuse by the banks that it's because of their reputation. Because if you look at their history, you have um, <laughs> there's no reputation like <laughs> HSBC. You have um, Deutsche Bank, uh, Jeffrey Epstein Bank, with both of them. He wasn't debanked. He banked with J.P. Morgan, yeah. J.P. Morgan Chase, Citibank, um, Deutsche Bank, and he was never debanked. But you have Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, getting debanked, and Julia Assange, Julian Assange was debanked in 2010, mm -hmm. and that's why he switched to Bitcoin. And it's estimated he's worth like 37 million now. So you look at the people that are actually getting debanked, and it's not the pedophiles; it's the guys that are putting out a narrative contrary to what the the elect 
seem to approve of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you can also throw in Alex Jones, even though he does get a little wild. Like, just the, when he got the platform, that was like a major flag. Like, wow, they're really taking away free speech. No, nobody can come out and say what they want to say now. Well, that's completely against the Constitution. Oh, yeah. And then, and then in his trial, like, he doesn't even get to do discovery. He was denied trial by jury. Like, they literally just took away... Um, trial by jury from him mm-hmm. and, and it's he, like regardless what you think of Alex Jones like you can be all over the spectrum mm-hmm. but that's not what was on trial there it was free speech and, and that was a big loss so mm-hmm. fingers crossed for the, the Texas Supreme Court that they do the, their job but we're kind of screwed but and even now recently I don't know do you watch Joe Rogan he had Dr. Robert Malone have you have you seen that oh yeah 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 that was good so they, um, YouTube then, took all those videos away, and now they have like 270, I don't know what, I don't know who it was, 270 mainstream media, or 270 people like joined the coalition to, to send uh, a message to Spotify to deplatform Joe Rogan because his ideas are toxic. Yeah, I saw that. Mm-hmm. And that's not even bringing it, putting into account, like what about the 60,000 that signed the, uh, the Great Barrington Declaration? What is that? No, what is that? What's it called again, so Scott? The, the Great Barrington Declaration. Um, it's interesting. You should, um, when we get off here or whatever, if you have time now, just Google it. It's um, basically a bunch of doctors and scientists that got together and they have a um, petition. And there's over 60,000 signatures now signing it, protesting the vaccine and the mandates. and. Hmm. Um, the science involved in all It's funny how none of this stuff you you hear on ABC 13 News or yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, you don't you, know, you don't hear about the massive protests going on over. Yeah, around the it's world only on social world. media because I remember a few times Juan he would send me protests going on in France or or you know um, foreign countries and people. It's a beautiful thing, man. People waking up and just pe- people doing a peaceful protest, not destroying things like the media yes. wants you to see to cause more chaos more havoc and more of a fighting nature as opposed to a smart common sense nature of protesting yes does the the question becomes does the algorithm run us or do we run the algorithm mm-hmm. really interesting I like um, are you familiar are you familiar with the the axiom of non-aggression uh just uh, explain a little bit so it's it's basically uh it's an ethical stance um that aggression is inherently illegitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, and aggression is defined as an initiation of physical force against persons or property or, or the threat of such fraud upon persons or property in contrast to like, say, pacifism where um, non-aggression does not preclude violent self-defense. Um, and I think that's basically kind of where I line up. Like, I'm against violent action or aggression until it comes into defending myself or my family, if that makes sense mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, that reminds me of a quote that John Lennon said something along the lines that um, you have to be peaceful because once you start getting into violence, you start tep- stepping into their territory. That's yeah. where the government, they're, they're professionals at violence. They have a monopoly on oh, violence. Yeah. So if, let, me, let me read you the quote I found that he goes, he, uh, John Lennon says, when it gets down to having use of violence, then you are playing the systems game. The establishment will irritate you, pull your beard, flick your face to make you fight. Because once, you ha- because once they've got you in violent, then they know how to handle you. 
The only thing they don't know how to handle is nonviolence and humor. And I yeah. think that's so true. I think mm. it's if we can just figure out a, a way a way to make fun of these people to like really like make the, make everyone see how ridiculous their lies and their propaganda is, people can wake up much quicker. Yeah. And 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 I like what you said too because whenever for me what I perceive from that is whenever you're protesting and reacting in a nonviolent way, you're using your rational logical thinking as opposed to whenever you're reacting in a very violent or aggressive way. Mm-hmm. It may be aggression, but it's still emotion and that's still weakness. You're still not thinking rationally about it. So, so, so you're letting your emotions control you. Back in high school, uh, back in high school, uh, my, my trainer back in amateur boxing used to tell me, it's not the fighter who's the most aggressive. It's the fighter who's the most focused that will win the fight. It's, it's not about who's the most intimidating or aggressive in the ring. It's about the one who's most focused and, and, and who put who, the work in and, and whose emotions are separate from his logic to win the boxing match. Yep, I think it so it goes back to emotions by their their nature are irrational. So if you're if you're reacting out of emotion, you're being irrational. You cannot outthink your emotional reactions because you're being driven purely on fight or flight. And it's biological because once you go into that fight or flight movement, your blood it drains from your brain and it goes into your, your arms and your legs, which is trying to prepare your body to fight or to run away. So you're not, there's less blood in your brain. So scientifically, you're able to think less. situation your adrenaline's kicking in so yeah you're just completely like i have to get out of here or i have to do something or i'm dead uh-huh. and you go into that lizard part of your brain and there is no logical thought happening <laughs> yeah, exactly that's why one of the major things that i post on my instagram is is know thyself improve thyself find the others and then you'll know what to do meaning first figure out who you are what are your desires what do you really want in life yeah. and then improve yourself become the best possible version that you could become and then once you really know who you are and who you want to become and improve yourself you go and meet other similar people and then when you get together you can actually start flowing ideas of what to actually yeah. do to, to make a change mm-hmm. yeah i think the situation that the current state of reality is a situation in which we're trying our part of the group is trying to wake people up and the other part of the group has drank the Kool-Aid and may never wake up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, it's, it's not a situation that anyone's going to fight their way out of, mm-hmm. but we can learn our way out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it reminds us of something Terrence McKenna always says. He says, all you have to do is walk away. You don't have to create cadres of intellectual elites. You don't have to organize in secret groups to fight back with bombs and stuff. It's just walk away. Like, don't listen to them. Just turn off the TV. Fi- mm-hmm. Go look out your own information and just live your life. Fuck yeah. the government. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's... If, if we can't step back... Well, a, a civilization that cannot identify truth from falsehood is in no way, shape, or form going to have liberty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And unless we can, amongst ourselves, figure out how to get there, that's the only option we have. And being violent or giving the power 
course it be the opportunity to exploit someone being violent and make it look a hundred times worse than it is. It's only going to make the situation worse and it's not going to convince anybody. Yeah, that reminds me of a quote from Benjamin Franklin. He says, people willing to trade their freedom for temporary security deserve neither and will lose both. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, so anything else that you want to talk to us about, Carol, quickly? Does he offer any solutions or any, any type of ways to like expose this or get other people to, to, to look at this type of information? Not so much as a way to get look, people to look at it because he kind of views the elect as a good thing. That's why it's an interesting book because he's a, a liberal and he thinks he kind of buys into that, not the evil aspect of it, but just the divine right of kings that basically we need to be led. I think there are some very good solutions. Um, one of the big ones actually comes from a book by John Taylor Gatto, who was the three-time teacher of the year in New York, um, called Weapons of Mass Instruction. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Goes, it goes back into that, what I talked about earlier, just the history of education, but basically his, his answer is um, something that the, the Freemasons actually have occulted or tried to keep secret. Um, basically, the understanding behind Pythagoras's three, four, five triangle, um, the three standing for the trivium, the four standing for the quadrivium, and the five standing for the five senses and approaching life by navigating use the trivium, quadrivium, and your five senses, which if you understand that and you know how to use it, and it's really easy to learn, there's no need for the sublime prince of the royal secret found in Albert Pike's Morals and Dogma of the Accepted Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. Mm. It's most of history is about war and the wars is about keeping secrets. And if a third of our histories kept secret from us, how will we have any idea uh, a compass. of the current yeah, the current state of our reality. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and they always say if you don't know your history you're bound to repeat it. Yeah. Um, right. Well I mean look at um <laughs> Clark Clifford, the guy that was the architect and writer of the National Security Act of 1947, where we get the term top secrecy. Fast forward to the 80s, and he, along with James Comey, are on the board of the Bank of Credit Commerce International, who are laundering money for the CIA and the worst drug dealers and human traffickers around the world. Mm-hmm. Nothing are done with them. Um, it's just... And the things that are kept secret from us, if the public knew, they would protest. So it's really, it's really an interesting state of affair we find ourselves in. What, some some of the the general uh, and rather vague notes I took. Um, I, I was watching a video, a summary of the book, and and whenever Juan was talking about, okay, does Mister Quigley offer any any solutions or any of its ideas? That, that brings me back to these notes. Um, I remember, so basically, from my understanding, um, uh, he, uh, Mr. Quigley was talking about um, how the state of our world, how it was uh, in the 19th century, materialism, selfishness, false values, um, uh, uh, hip, uh, hypocrisy. Um, ni- from the 19th to the 20th century, it was about the age of transition. 
Um, he argues it was one of the most awful period, periods of, of uh, human history. 1913 was all about misguided uh, uh, positivity, misguided positivity, complacency. 1914, world leaders went to war. Back in 45, um, everybody was ignorant, complacent, false, va- false values. Um, and those two world wars led to a depression for, from the from from uh, from society and so forth, but one of the things he said, I think it was at the end of the book, in the hope of a twentieth century, um, these so war and, and depression, all of these are man made. You know how, you know how, um, the finances were back then, but those can be avoided. Um, but he argues that we should go back to old Western virtues: generosity, compassion rationality, spirituality, charity, self-discipline. And, and that amazes me today. That makes me think today because um, now now we see a moral, uh, a moral collapse of, of, of traditional Western virtues. What could argue men and women um, are our specific gender roles, our specific roles in building up a, a community, a family, um, and 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 how we could contribute to our country, to our to our families. Um, um, I mean, it seems seems like the lines are being blurred. From what we first thought was rational common sense of what morals were, now the now everything is being inverted in, in the name of love, peace, or tolerance, or uh, or uh, lib, uh, liberalism. Um, but yeah, that's what I see happening. The collapse of old Western virtues and values. And now we're building essentially uh, a new way of thinking. Thus leading, if we continue this new way of thinking, that'll eventually lead to this new world order. This hive mindset that they want everybody under. That's why people who whose diction consists of... Um, um, uh, conservatism, nationalism, being traditional, or, or, or you know, being biblical. It seems like that speech is censored, or, or you label it as a narrow-minded, bigot-minded Christian, or uh, whatever name they have for people like us who think alternatively. Because these are the types of words, the sentences, the, the mindsets that will wake people up and cause people to think differently from the mainstream narrative. So, if I could add to that, um, hold on, uh, Scott. Just hold that thought for one second, please, because we can record only one hour. I'm gonna pause it, and then we're gonna continue going. So just stay on the line, please. Okay. Okay, okay we're right back on. You just had to pause it for a second. So uh, continue. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So if I could just add to what you just said there, um, I agree with you a hundred percent, and I believe it's actually provable. Mm-hmm. That is being done on purpose. Yeah, yeah. There's a really, uh, really good book called Found, uh, "Foundations: Their Power and Influence." What is it called again? Sorry. Called "Foundations: uh-huh. Their Power and Influence" Found by uh-huh. Renee A. Wormser. Okay. And it's it's the attorney that led the Reese Commission, um, and it's referred to as the Dodd Report. But basically, they went through and investigated tax-exempt foundation back in the, it was either the 60s or the 70s. And the, the findings that they came up with will blow your mind. Um, but basically, uh, her 
I'm telling you this, this is one of the attorneys involved in the investigation that Congress did. Um, don't take my word for it. Go read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the great, one of the really cool things that I really, really like about books is if you break down the word skin behind it, um, the Latin word for book is liber. It's also the same root word used for to articulate the word freedom, and thus the root word for liberty. Reading books provides a road to cognitive liberty. Uh, from what you're saying right there, I, it, may, it reminds me, do you know who Mark Passio is? I think it's influence coming from him. Um, one of the guys I really like is Richard Grove. He did Peace Revolution podcast, and he does Grand Theft World podcast now. Okay, I'm going to have to check it's, those out. Oh, man. Um, if you like history, uh, Peace Revolution is really, really good. And Peace Grand Revolution. Theft World, they basically do one podcast a week. It's usually two to three hours. It breaks down all the news over the week. What is that one? Grand Theft World? Yep. Okay, it's I'm going to have to check that uh, out. Rockfin. Okay. Oh, uh, you pay for Rockfin? Um, no, it's just uh, you can pull some of them up for free. It's one of the ones that are free on there. Oh, shit, cool, cool. I love Rockfin. Yeah, I, it's amazing when I started getting into this through the community, how, how much you can learn. You can really dive into this. And, like, who wants to watch television when you have this much more interesting stuff that's actually happening in the real world? Yeah, reality is far more fascinating. And yeah. <laughs> earlier you were telling me something. Uh, it reminded me when you were telling me if people only knew the truth. It reminded me of this quote from uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who was the director of the FBI. He said this. He said, the individual comes face to face with a conspiracy so monstrous he cannot believe it exists. The American mind has not come to a re- realization of the evil which has been introduced into our midst. It rejects even the assumption that human creatures could espouse a philosophy which must ultimately destroy all that is good and decent. So he's telling you basically that there is a monstrous conspiracy of people trying to destroy everything that's good and decent. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, and you can, well, that's, I love that quote, um, but there are, there's tons of different quotes from presidents, and I think the, the most blatant one is from Roosevelt that goes, presidents are selected, not elected. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a really good quote about that. Let me see if I, I have it written down somewhere here on my phone. Let me see if I can find it just quite quickly. And let me ask you this, Scott. I bet you have tons of notes. Yes. You, you have a typewriter or you write into your computer or you have actual paper notes? My computer is that you break it, we fix it. I am supposed to go pick it up. Um, all I have is my phone right now. Oh, shit. But about how much, how much documentation you think you've done in these past... You, you said you've been st- start studying this in the past four years? Way more than I should have. Um, <laughs> my wife would tell you that I'm obsessed. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like you said, bro. Just like you said, reality is far more interesting than what's on TV. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. it really is. Yeah. So did you find the quote? Um, I found one of them. It's not the one I'm looking for, but I'll read this one while I'm still looking for the other one. Um <laughs> The names of some of these banking families are familiar to us all and should be more so. They include Baring, Lazard, Erlanger, Warburg, Schroeder, Seligman, Spires, Mirabart, Mallet, Poles, and above all, Rothschild and Morgan. Um, that's one thing really I like about Quickly, too, is a lot of people 
mm-hmm. conspiracy theory, and that's one of his main points is that um, hardly any of the elect bankers are of Jewish descent. Mm-hmm. They're just <laughs> so masquerading. To hold that, in, uh, hold that against him or debunk him based on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a whole theory that you just automatically and start insulting the Jews and everyone like yeah. you, they disarm you basically like that, calling you racist yeah. or whatever. And it's and it's Juan, an easy one to if it were true, like not have anyone listen to it. And Juan and Wilson and I, we were talking about this that whole concept on our last podcast about about this whole this crediting, calling people, uh, hey, you're a, you have hatred against Jews, or. Um, I think Henry Ford, he was once accused of of, um, of, of that whole hatred towards, um, you know. Yeah, I think, I'm sure that somewhere along the line, some of them were anti-Semitic. Um, yeah. And there, there was racism, just like there is, there's racism in the world today. Um, but... I think uh, Isaac Asimov has a really good quote. Um, Any book worth banning is a book worth reading. Like, okay, maybe someone was racist, but if they, if they're saying something that is true and putting some other spin on it, wouldn't you rather find the truth and then think critically about it and cut the racist part out so you can get to the truth? Uh Yeah. And it's like Wilson was saying last episode too. You have you have to know how to discern and separate what's truth from what's being thrown in there to like the smoke and mirror. Great, it's truth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and that's I think that's part of the problem because I think anybody that's that loves reading conspiracy theories, man, it's easy to get sucked into things and like buy it hook, line, and sinker. And then you're going deeper and deeper and deeper, and you're like all of a sudden like wait a minute, I need to reassess here. Something's not lining up. And then you pull back out and you're able to see it. So mm-hmm. I, I know I've been guilty of that in the past and I'm sure I'll probably be guilty of it in the future too. So I think it's just part of the thinking critically about something and weighing fact versus fiction. And it, it's like, a, it's why you should always read it for yourself. And don't, um, Nullis in Verba, it was the, the, um, Royal Institute of Sciences, it's their motto, and it translates to think for yourself. Exactly, yep. That's one of my hashtags that I always use on my posts is think for yourself. Here's the quote. Um, The argument that two parties should represent opposed ideals and policies, one perhaps of the right and the other of the left, is a foolish idea acceptable only to doctrinate and academic thinkers. Instead, the two parties should be almost identical so that American people could throw their rascals out at any election without leading mm-hmm. to any profound or extensive shifts in policy. Yeah, exactly. They keep it so, like, it's either they, the people every four years switch back and forth, not realizing that they're both the same wings of the same bird. Yeah, two sides of the well, same coin. And um, he does a really good job. It's on, I have the page number actually written down if you're interested in actually looking it up in the book, um, explaining how the central banks um, work in concert to create a, a feudalistic system by which they will control the nations of the world through finance. Most central bankers um, are not Jewish. The quote that I was telling you about is from page 324, and then on page... What book is it, Scott? This is 
his tragedy and hope, okay. the actual page number from the thick book, okay. for he goes into how the Council on Foreign Relations was created. And if you look at the Council on Foreign Relations, which goes to this two-party uniparty, um, the Council on Foreign Relations for at least the last 60 to 70 years has set our um, foreign policy for the U.S. It doesn't matter which president is sitting in the big boy seat in the Oval Office. Yeah, it's just a puppet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Mandel House actually uh, wrote a book that I think gives the clearest illustration of the president's job called Philip the Administrator. Um, if you want a insider's view of what the president does, it's written as fiction, but it, it's very telling. Mm-hmm. Right now, when you were talking about um, the book, uh, let me assume that your book is highlighted and, and you have everything underlined and, and books, like pages numbered. Yes. I love that. I love that there's people like you that is actually digging in, into books and really like analyzing all the little things that people aren't going to go to. Most people are just on their Instagram and just eating little sound bites, little pieces, little bite-sized pieces of the truth. Yeah. And that doesn't One lead people clicks. anywhere. Yeah. yeah. It's... It, it, it takes give, concrete evidence. It takes that revelation. subject to validate your presuppositions going into it. Mm-hmm. And if there's an, as the social media or the social dilemma tells us, if there's an algorithm that knows which tribe we prescribe to, it knows which um, presuppositions to feed. So wow. it's going to keep us engaged longer. Yeah, they just pull our strings and lead us like a carrot, dangling the carrot in front of us. And, and those certain videos, that certain content on social media, there are nuggets of truth. There is content, content out there, but I don't think they personally have that type of momentum to, to actually shift somebody's mentality to like, hmm, maybe something out there is happening in the world. It takes a really smart conversation, a really smart man to actually sit, not sit down with the person, but actually use his words cleverly and, and actually know his stuff, his dates, his, his sources, you know, to, to actually... Provide evidence. Yes, and, and, and concisely say it from a point of view... Um, where I mean, well, come on, you know. I think part of it too, part of the biggest issue too is just having a conversation. Yeah. Because social media is just an echo chamber yeah. where you have hyenas sitting in the background cheering people on for being absolutely ridiculous to each other. Because if you're having a conversation with someone, like, before social media, like there was the real possibility that if you were rude or disrespectful or basically treated someone like a piece of crap, you get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. And you just you don't have that now because mm-hmm. it's it's social media. It's not. Weird you could say whatever. Real. Now so we have keyboard uh, keyboard warriors. To it it's <laughs> not. It's not like reality, mm-hmm. um, and it brings out the worst in everyone. Like I, yeah. I'm guilty of it. Like half of the memes I post, I'm sure. I probably shouldn't, but... It's... I love them, though. I love them. Yeah. Now we have keyboard warriors, a generation of keyboard warriors who are smart, you know, yeah. who are, like, courageous behind the telescreen. But, but I mean, even up front towards a person, even though our beliefs cause offense, I think it's still imperative, essential to, to say them because we will be labeled as yes. offensive. We will be labeled as terrorists. 
Um, but, but that just goes with the territory of being um, a man, uh, with being a truther, uh, not, not, not minimizing our brain and our words for the sake of not offending people or be labeled as an outsider. So there's a, there's a quote, and I think it was Orwell, but I'm not 100% sure, um, that goes, if liberty means anything, it means having or being free to tell people things they don't want to hear. Two and plus two important. equals four, yeah. Um, and, and Orwell was a really, really interesting guy. Um, he was, so when he writes that torture theme, in 1984 like he was a torturer for the british military so he was in a sense the torturer and the prisoner and he's dealing kind of with his own grief it uh, i read a, a interesting article on it and it gives so much more depth to that book sorry that was kind of off the subject it just no you're good you're good uh, earlier when we were talking about the social and how we're just eating little bite-sized pieces too it reminded me of Back in the day, the old internet, you know, you could find the little topic article and you would go and dig deeper into it. But now that you have your feed, people are just scrolling. They read a little meme. They, they, they forget all about that topic, go to something that's completely different. And then also when you were talking about how people have to be able to willing to kind of get offended and look at different ideas. It reminds me of this quote. Supposedly, Aristotle said it, but I don't know if it's, that's the real thing. But he said, it is a mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. So it's just the ability to have an open mind and re to see and imagine things that you have never, ever even had the, the idea or inkling to think about. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it speaks to the, I think it was JFK that said it, that if you take away people's ability to speak about conflict, the only alternative you leave them is violence. Exactly. And censorship gets worse and worse like i mean look at where our country's headed now you have tribe right is building their social media and media outlets and you have tribe left that have facebook twitter and those and we're continuing to get more divided and now you have scientists calling to um censor podcasts and mm -hmm. different things like that like note at no point in history was people cheering on or doing censorship on the side of the good guys like this leads nowhere good it's just going to continue to further divide the country mm -hmm. and um, it, it takes for people to stand up and i feel like that quote that also says that as long as there's bread and circuses people will never revolt as long as they have their netflix as long as they have their grubhub and they're they're yeah. complacent in it they're not going to do anything about it i always wonder it's what another. what will it take to get the people to actually get off their couch and do something that's a great question. Uh, I, I, I think it goes I, back see, to, just, it to just having a revelation, so, you know? Uh, I mean, we watched businesses being shut down. We watched a, the CDC decided it had the power to legislate and seize property rights, which is the most basic human right. Um, uh -huh. And the sad truth is people are more... Um, rather be comfortable than free mm -hmm. I think is really what it boils down to mm -hmm. yeah so who knows I, I don't have a clue I, I see I would have predicted it would have been long before now but we are where we are it, it's it's an interesting time to be alive exactly like the fall of Rome with Wi-Fi yep yep you're it, in the twilight of the empire 
there for sure. <laughs> There's a quote by George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, uh, he said something along the lines of, if the American people only knew what we were doing in stealth, I know this is a vague quote, quote by him, but I know it goes somewhere along the lines of, the American people only knew what we were doing, they would be chasing us with their torches down the street. Um, but that, yeah, yeah, I think it just goes back to, to just people having a full grasp and, and comprehension of, about what exactly is going on rather than reading about uh, a vague history or, or history that's been blurred um, because cause then people aren't aware of their own devices and they're not aware of the tactics that, that the elect or that people who they think are uh, establishing laws for their favor, they're not aware of their um, uh, sinister intentions. Yeah. And I think, well, too, I think it also just... About... Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, go, Sorry, go ahead. ahead. You, you, you. You're the guest. I was... <laughs> oh, it's your, it's your podcast. Bro. Yeah. I was just going to say they're not... Uh... People don't think through the unintended consequences. So, mm. like, you look at things like the uh, the eviction moratoriums. Mm-hmm. So I understand the other side of the issue going, okay, we don't want people thrown out in the middle of a pandemic because the government shut down, they can't work. But at the same time, in 2024, if Orange Man Dad gets back in power, do you really want him having that? Mm-hmm. Because that's the unintended consequence of that. Mm-hmm. And if Democrats don't think we're... I'm neither a Democrat or a Republican, let me throw that out there. So if I piss both sides off, I'm more than happy to do so. Yeah, but yeah. If... Um, if the Democrats don't think the Republicans will use that and hammer them, like, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the history of this country. The government will switch to the left side, take a few rights, then they'll switch to the right side, take yep. a few more rights, switch mm-hmm. back and forth. And before you know it, you're watching the TV to, to, to see what you're allowed to do, which uh-huh. is exactly yeah. what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well... Uh, Scott, this was beautiful, and I, I really enjoyed talking to you, and I, I'm so glad that we talked and we met, and, and what a coincidence that we're in the same state. Um, I, I'm just so glad that there's people again like you that are out there really reading and researching, and I would like to have you on again because you really have your notes, and you, uh, about how many books you think you've read? I have, so I grew up, really, another really weird story, I'll make it real quick, um, I grew up very Jonestown. My folks were missionaries, and I grew up in South America. So we did not really have TV or anything like that. So I would get bored and literally read dictionaries. Like, I wow. was that <laughs> <laughs> In school, um, I've read tons, and I do... I do a lot more of audiobooks now because I had a, I was military, I'm retired military, I had a, a TBI so I can only read for so long before I start getting migraines. Um, so my reading has slowed down, but I have read tons. I have no idea how many or what. Um, Let me ask you this. When you were in South America, did you learn to speak Spanish? Oh, that's awesome, man. I think that's also one of the things, like, when I try to offer solutions about how to, how to change or just how to see things in a different way, travel is one of those things that you can just step out of your own culture and then go somewhere else and to see and to, to just imagine how, how different people can live. And, and the one beautiful thing is that no matter where you go to, people just want to be pe- people. They want to live in peace and, and love and grow and be healthy. But 
all of us there's there's always people in shadowy backgrounds trying to control and trying to like like that quote from Hoover says to destroy everything that's good and decent and uh we were kind of talking online and you said you didn't get really into the spiritual side of things that you're kind of just starting but what is your view uh toward like coming in at the angle of spirituality and what that has to do with what's going on um so i am Yeah, exactly. So when you ask someone, if you just ask some random person what the word occult means, they don't usually mention something like satanic or evil. It has nothing to do with it. It just means something that's been pushed under the rug or hidden, something that they don't want you to look at. But but then again, uh, again, a lot of this knowledge too, Scott, uh, a lot of of this so-called knowledge or this Eastern Western mysticism, this uh, metaphorical forbidden fruit, it, it does come from this new age deception this this new age deception that we're all gods and this belongs in the same branch as being a cult or being um being uh uh the this whole this this knowledge this occult knowledge taught in in mystery schools in, in eastern western mysticism um this this lie that the serpent uh, this lie from the serpent back in the Garden of Eden, whether that was real or just a metaphor, but this so, this lie about uh, us being as gods, and therefore, why do we need the the one and only true God if we're our our only God? Uh, but to me, there's a balance, and and it takes a sane person to understand this balance, because just like what Christopher Lee said. Um, uh, if you study the occult, not only will you lose your mind, but you will also lose lose your soul. Um, so, so one has to be one has to be really careful diving in because some people are lost. Some people don't have an exact concept of it. I, I do understand that there's fundamental truths about about biology and about human nature that to me aren't occult, but 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 th- these are truths not taught in school because once you learn these then we'll begin to realize why the fuck do I need the media or news or TV to teach me whenever I have my own consciousness, my brain. But there's other uh, things out there that it's, it's occultic that, that I would steer clear from because um, that comes from Eastern Western mysticism that, that comes from, uh, you know, that, um, um, that comes from these mystery schools oh, dating back to the Brotherhood of the Dragon. Um, um, and, and all of these secret societies, um, people who, who, get, who get initiated into these, into these uh, mystery religions in order that they can be enlightened. But this, this enlightenment is false. It's not 
really enlightenment. It's this lie, it's this new age deception that the serpent is, is deceiving mankind with. Even the powers that be, uh, this, their, their, this so-called knowledge, whether it's uh, Freemasonry or, or, or the Kabbalah or, or Gnosticism, um, these so-called elect actually believe that they will live forever through transhumanism or through transcendence or through the blood of fresh babies and through other lies being told to them. So one has to be, I believe one has to be really, really careful diving into this room because you will get lost and, and you will not find a foundation that, that, so that you can step on. So I think I understand what you're saying. And if I understand you correctly, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, it, I, it depends on, obviously, it all depends on the <laughs> angle in which you understand me from, you know. Yeah, it could be a, a deep talk, but I think what you are saying is there, there is something there that is evil that it, these people yes. truly do believe. Yes. And I agree with that 100%. Yeah, it's a slippery slope because when you, start, slippery slope when you start reading things like Aleister Crowley and do what thou wilt, you can kind of start putting in that idea of people that, yeah, just do whatever you want. Go fuck kids, go do drugs, yeah, not, fuck yeah, with the magic. No, no, I yeah. think um, one of my really, my favorite authors is uh, C.S. Lewis. Yeah, C.S. Lewis, yeah. yeah. If, you have, if you have not read The, the Abolition of Man, strongly recommend it. But he talks about this idea, basically, of, in my opinion, a lot of postmodernism is a cancer because it degrades these ideas of traditional values and it creates men yeah. without chess. And the, the issue he's dealing with in that book is birth control, but you could flip that very easily as, like, say, the issue of abortion mm -hmm. or even transgenderism, whereas if you can... If you can sway traditionally or in, in, in my, from my um, belief from morally what scripture teaches me right or wrong, if you can shift that and kind of make it up to the individual, it, it becomes a, a, a cancer to traditional values. Mm -hmm. And without those traditional values, then there's really no point because it really is up to the individual. Mm -hmm. So who's to say what's okay and what's not okay? And mm -hmm. if, if people can say what's okay and what is not okay for themselves, then basically we descend into not the good kind of anarchy, but the violent type of anarchy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, again, Scott, man, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, we're, I'm going to play us out with the song. Um, do you like David Bowie? Um, I no, I don't know artists by their names and things like that. Okay. Well, this is a song. It's a song by David Bowie, but it's actually a remix. It's called A Better Future. And I'd like to end with something that kind of goes along with our theme. So I'm going to play us out with this song. But before, do you have anything that you want to leave our listeners with in terms of things that we can do to uh, become better people or just to learn more and understand more? Nolas and Verbe. Think for yourself. Exactly. Okay. All right. Thank for yourself, folks. I'm going to play this song and stay with us, Scott. I'm going to play this song and then end the podcast. And I still want to talk to you for a couple of minutes after. Okay. Okay. All right. Everybody, uh, thank you for listening to our show. Um, I, I really love Scott. I, I want to have him on again. I, I like people who like read and have sources and have cited information. Yeah. So where you can actually prove to others with un undoubted, undoubted, um, 
with undoubtedly about what's really going on. And in this proof, it's there. It's, it's in paper and you can investigate it and figure out the truth. But it just takes balls for you to go and dive in deep and really figure out what's going on. So thank you guys for listening to our show. You can follow me at... Oh, you want to share your name, Scott? Um, for Instagram? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just Courtney Scott Miller, my name. Okay. All one word. So say it. Uh, I'll, I'll write it in the show notes. But um, thank you once again. Uh, um, everybody stay vigilant and, and know thyself. Um, here, this is David Bowie, A Better Future.
Peace.